Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast. I'm your host, Marisha, and this month we are talking all things scaffolding. If you'd like to see all of the topics for this month, head to slpnow.com scaffold. And now, without further ado, grab your favorite beverage of choice. I'll have my chai latte, put your feet up, and listen in to this week's content. When I was in grad school, the main type of therapy that I saw was drill-based. Um, and i that's what I learned. That's what how I was taught to do therapy. So when I started in the schools, that's what I did. I just used that drill-based approach that I got really good at. Um, and so, but I realized that my students were struggling with generalization. Um, I went to several IEP meetings where I was very, very excited to report this amazing progress that the students made towards their goals. Um, but before I had a chance to share, the teacher would always like inevitably give her update or his update and um, what I was seeing in the therapy room wasn't matching what was happening in the classroom. Um, too many times. Uh, so I dug into the research to figure out a better way to structure my therapy and help my students work towards generalization. And um, so that's what we, so I ended up landing on literacy-based therapy. I will do a very, very quick overview um, but last month on the podcast, we talked all about literacy-based therapy with tons of different ideas and resources to navigate that. Um, so definitely reference that if you want more information. Um, and just something that was interesting that I noticed. Um, so when I was doing that drill-based therapy, um, we get to pick tasks that are at the student's level. So like articulation is a really great example. So we figure out how a student is doing, um, and they're either in isolation and syllables and words and phrases, sentences, and we can just, we can simply adjust the task. And if the student's struggling at the phrase, then we'll jump back to the word level. And so it's easy to jump back and forth there. However, when we're working in context, which is what I found, um, there's a lot of research to support working in context, um, but it's a little bit messier. It's not as like struct, there aren't as many structured tasks and there is still some of that involved, but that's why scaffolding is so incredibly important because we can work in context if we have appropriate strategies and scaffolds in place to set our students up for success. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of dive in on all of the different scaffolds that we can use, have a good refresher, um, and then just to empower all of us to work um, in a purposeful context, in a meaningful context throughout our therapy. Um, and then the ultimate goal is to get students to be using these skills in the classroom. And it's just one strategy that we can use um, to work towards that. Um, and then um, I just wanted to share a little bit of the research behind this contextualized approach because I know I was very um, skeptical when I first started because I didn't think there was any way that I would get enough meaningful repetitions of the students' skills in context. Um, I was worried about 
just being a tutor and not really teaching students meaningful skills um, and also just not getting the volume that I needed. Um, but Gillum, Gillum and Reese in 2012 put together, um, it was a small group intervention um, and they evaluated a literacy-based approach versus a decontextualized, more drill-based approach. Um, and they found that students' comprehension and story retell slash story generation skills improved more with a contextualized approach. So even if we're getting less repetitions, we're not saying, like we're not getting a, a bajillion K, uh, like initial K words or whatever it may be, but we're targeting the skills in a really meaningful context that students can really hook onto um, and really um, make some meaningful progress towards these very functional um, skills that they need to participate in the classroom. Um, so yeah, that's what we've got there. And that doesn't mean that, and we'll talk a little bit more about it, but there definitely is still a time and a place for that drill-based practice. Um, there is still a time and a place for teaching skills. That's always very, very important. Um, we will, so we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like in context, um, but I think this study was really helpful in getting me to wrap my head around like the potential impact that trying this new approach can have. Um, and there are also some other nice benefits. Um, it happens to make it very easy. So literacy-based therapy, it makes for like you get to pick a book and work on a theme around that. It makes it really easy to play to plan. Excuse me. It's very it ends up providing a predictable structure for students um, and it also provides a predictable structure for us. Um, we kind of get really like we get really good at using a particular book or article and we can really dive into it and provide some really amazing intervention. Um, and that also yields a very meaningful context, which we, we've talked a lot about. Um, and then it's nice because with the framework, we can start with um, simpler skills and then really shape them to build onto a larger goal. So we might be working on like some uh, grammatical structures or some sentence structures or um, and like very specific skills. But then we can shape that into like using those, using that grammar, using those sentences um, when retelling a story, for example. So we get to take those sub skills and put them into a meaningful context um, that they would actually like in a way that students would actually be using it. Um, and then so we've got um, some evidence to show us that this result yield some nice outcomes for our, our students. And it's definitely not like there's still more research to be done um, and we still want to use our clinical judgment. Um, but just from personal experience, um, I've had a lot of success and I've been really impressed with the research. Um, but then again, you get, you're the clinician and you get to implement this in the way that you see fit. Um, so, um, but just to recap, we've seen some studies that documented improved outcomes and like expressive and receptive vocabulary narratives um, by using this more contextualized approach. And we, Dr. Ukranitz gives a nice five-step framework that we can use to um, navigate this 
um, in our therapy sessions. And so um, we'll just do a super quick overview. But like I said, check out last month's podcast episodes if you want to um, get a more thorough overview. But the first step is pre-story knowledge activation. Um, and then we help this, we help that student identify what they already know about the given topic or theme. Um, we can ask questions, we can do a book walk, we can do, fill in a graphic organizer, um, we can do a virtual field trip, like whatever we need to fill in that student's background knowledge. The second step is shared reading, where we simply read the book. Um, the third step is post-story comprehension activities. Um, so we can, um, and this, we'll talk about how to scaffold this, but we can just ask questions, just have them be verbal, have a discussion about the story. Um, a lot of times our students need more support, so we can give them visual choices um, or fields of choices, um, whatever makes the most sense. And then for four, we have focus skill activities. This is where we spend the most time in the unit and we specifically target um, the speech and language skills that we need to. Um, and then for the fifth step, we create a parallel story. And this is, again, another opportunity for students to integrate all of the skills they targeted throughout the unit. Um, and then we get to create a story that's similar to what we read throughout the unit. Um, and then just a quick tip to start navigating all of this. Um, because it can be overwhelming if I'm like throwing, okay, use this therapy structure, use these scaffolding strategies, and just go for it. Like, how do you get set up? How do you get it organized? Um, so that's where the caseload at a glance comes in. Um, that is a very um, helpful way to break down your caseload. So what I like to do is I list, you can list your groups, you can list by grade, um, you can list by class, whatever makes the most sense for you. In this example, we list the grades. So I could just go down and do like preschool, kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth, fifth. So I would list the grades or have, like I said, classroom, group, whatever you wanna do. And then I go through all of my students' IEPs. So I would start, let's say Johnny is first. So Johnny is working on K. So I would put a K in the articulation box and just put one tally. Um, and then he's also working on plural nouns. So I put that on a grammar, add a tally. Let's say Shaniqua is working on K and WH questions. So I add a tally next to K because that's what Johnny was working on too. And then um, she's also working on WH questions. So I write WH questions and add a tally. And then, so I go through all of my students' IEPs and just have a shorthand of the goals. Um, and you, like, that's how I like to do it. You can adjust this however you want um, and whatever will work for your brain. Um, but for me, I really like having a shorthand of the goal um, because then, like, I, and I typically only do this once a year um, just to get familiar with my caseload um, at the beginning of the year or if I'm feeling super overwhelmed. But then I just map it out. And then when I'm done, I can see exactly which goals my students are working on. And um, I just make a couple copies of the caseload at a glance. And then I work through 
to figure out, okay, so like I need to make sure I have assessments for all of these goals. And then I go through and make sure I have them all accounted for. Then I need to make sure that I have visuals to teach all of these skills. And I go through and I just start highlighting them as I put together the visuals and the assessments. And that's just a really nice way because um, we won't tackle it all at once. And it's just a nice way to like make progress. So um, if I were starting out with a brand new caseload, um, I would maybe set a, I would set a goal, whatever's realistic. Am I going to prep one visual a day? Am I just going to try and do like a batch of 10 every week? Um, whatever it may be, but it's just a way to organize everything that we're working on and just get it out of our heads on paper so we can easily see um, what's going on. And then you can also use it, like I said, for assessments, for visuals. I really like using this for professional development too. Uh, so then if I'm like, if I'm deciding which conferences I want to attend or which online courses, if I have 15 students with grammar goals and I feel like I need some help with grammar, then I'm going to seek out some courses that will help me with that. Or if I really want to work on social language and I know that's something that like really frustrates me or that I feel like I'm not doing a great job on. So that's how I can prioritize that. And it's just a really nice way to keep track um, and see yourself. Um, so like we said, um, the caseload at a glance is a nice way to build your core materials. Um, really, all that you need are your assessments, your visuals, or whatever you're using to teach. And then you, you are your best therapy tool, which is why I mentioned that um, professional development. So if you have the evidence-based strategies that you can use, I mean, it's nice to have stuff, but if you have that, like you don't even, like you could just run even without the assessments and the visuals. And I do think that having those organized and laid out makes our jobs a lot easier. Um, but the you is the most important element of this whole equation. Um, and so that's, I think that's where we would want to kind of focus our efforts and that's where we'll get the most bang for our buck. And then, um, so those are all of our core materials. And then the next thing that we need to do is to have some like some kind of context for our therapy. Um, we want to be curriculum based. We want to be educationally relevant. And so the the five step framework that I talked about works really well as a context for all of these different skills. So we move through that five step framework and we simply select a text that works well um, that aligns with what they're talking about in the classroom. So um, a lot of times speech therapists feel like it's a challenge to get like passages from the classroom. So a lot of, I see a lot of SLPs using like theme-based units. So just something that is more, a little more generic, um, something that we, especially in the younger grades, we know they're talking about in the classroom. Um, so whether like just the different seasonal topics, um, but usually we can also get at least a little, even just asking our students and asking what they're learning about in social studies, for example, or in science. And we can pick 
or select articles like readworks.org is an amazing resource. News ELA is an amazing resource with some great like passages and texts that we can use to target um, students to like the skills. And that's a wrap. Thanks for listening in and we will see you next week.